this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast this is g sampath the host for today's episode ethiopia is in the middle of a civil war and the rebel forces seem to be gaining the upper hand in november 2020 prime minister abe ahmed who had won the nobel peace prize in 2019 ordered what seemed like a limited military operation in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region it was expected to be a quick low key war but the rebel tigray people's liberation front tplf an ethno nationalist paramilitary group which is also a political party has turned the tables on the federal forces it has now taken two key cities on the highway to the national capital and is threatening to capture addis ababa Prime Minister Ahmed has called upon all civilians to sign up for military training and join the fight against the Tigrayan rebels. In the meantime, hundreds of civilians have died, thousands have been injured, and there is a food and communications blockade against the Tigray region, including its capital Makele, which is home to half a million people. There have also been reports of massacres and rapes by security forces. So what exactly has triggered this conflict? and how could a nobel peace prize winning prime minister end up leading his country into war and are there any chances of a quick yet lasting peace we look for some answers to these questions from the hindus international affairs editor stanley johnny stanley welcome to in focus thank you sambhat thanks for having me here always a pleasure to join you uh, stanley can you give us a quick overview on how did this conflict come about what's happening in terms of uh, ethnic tensions in the country and what's going on really in ethiopia right now yeah sampath if you mean to understand this current conflict you need to have you know we need to take a larger view of the ethnic composition of the country ethiopia is a very complex country because uh, you see modern ethiopia uh, is divided into 10 regions and this regional divisions are largely on ethnic lines so you have this tigray region in the north which is you know largely populated by the tigrayans and then the neighboring regions to tigray are afar oromia amhara and then further down south you have uh, addis ababa and then somali so these regions are the different regions divided on divided largely on ethnic lines and then you look at ethiopia's history TPLF which is now uh, the rebel force that's fighting prime minister Abiy Ahmed's government TPLF had been in power for almost 30 years and during the time of the the, the military dictatorship you know the, the soviet backed dictatorship which is called the derg from 90 mid 1970s uh, until 1991 until the collapse of uh, the derg TPLF was the major resistance force against the derg so tplf rose in the 1970s as a resistance army and then tplf was born in the tigray region and from there from the mountains of the tigray the tplf was leading the resistance against the derg and the resistance gained momentum in the 1980s which eventually led to the collapse of the derg in 1991 the derg actually reformed itself in the late 1990s and the military dictatorship fell in 1991 and since then tplf was the major political force in ethiopia so there is a contradiction here you know which need not be a contradiction in a democratic society but in an ethnically divided society like tplf represents tigrayans 
and Tigrayans make up, you know, uh, they, they are not the largest uh, ethnic group in Ethiopia. Oromos and Amharas are the largest groups. But TPLF was the most powerful militant force during the uh, dictatorship. So TPLF emerged the political heir apparent of, uh, you know, the previous regime and then TPLF consolidated power. So starting 1991, until 2018, TPLF remained or they retained monopoly over political power. And TPLF leader Menezenavi, he came up with this idea of ethnic federalism, which means the regions got their own autonomy while TPLF maintained uh, monopoly over power through their coalition. They formed a coalition with other ethnic parties, EPRDF, Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front. So this was the political setup of Ethiopia. And then, you know, as long as Zanavi was alive, it was fine. It was working. Ethiopia was kind of uh, economically, uh, it was growing. Uh, the federalism was working. And there was relative peace in the country, a country that went through the disastrous famine of 1980s. Uh, it was becoming East Africa's most powerful uh, economic force. But then after Zanavi's death, uh, I think his successor couldn't manage to keep the coalition together, the ethnic conflicts started uh, resurfacing, especially from the Oromia and Amara regions. So the EPRDF picked Abiy Ahmed in 2018. Abiy Ahmed is an ethnic Oromo. He was chosen as prime minister to calm the nerves and put the country back on the track of, you know, stability, political stability and economic growth. Abiy was also welcomed as a reformer, right? He won the Nobel Prize, etc., etc. But then Ebi started sidelining the TPLF. So that was the beginning of the crisis. So he wanted to mobilize power within his hands. So, so what he did, he dissolved the ruling coalition, EPRDF, which was controlled by the TPLF. He sacked or arrested TPLF stalwarts uh, in the government. And then he formed a new political platform, the Prosperity Party, which he himself commanded, led. So he was mobilizing power in his hands. He sidelined the TPLF. So the TPLF retreated to the Tigray region. And then last year, in September, when Abiy Ahmed decided to postpone the national election citing COVID, TPLF decided to go ahead with regional elections in Tigray in defense of the federal government. That was the breaking point. And then in November, Abiy Ahmed said that a federal military post came under attack from the Tigray and rebels. And then he ordered the military operations. The Tigrayan said that the federal government had sent additional troops to the borders of Tigray to launch an attack on the region so that they carried out a preemptive military strike. So there are two narratives, but the conflict started in November 2020. So this is how it began. So the context is this, you know, this power politics and the ethnic equations in Ethiopia. Right. So, it would appear that the whole conflict seems to have started with the move to sideline uh, sideline the Tigrayan forces and, and TPLF essentially by, uh, by the current Prime Minister. And what is the status of the conflict as of today, like in terms of territorial possession and the relative strength of the military forces? It doesn't seem like the National Army of Ethiopia is really in control at the moment. Yeah, see, the National Army was built by TPLF, right? The new Ethiopian state was built by Menezanavi and other stalwarts of the TPLF. Throughout, yeah, TPLF's regime ruled over three decades. TPLF leaders and commanders who were veterans of the civil war, 
they were in the key positions of the army so immediate challenge Abi faced when he launched the military operation was that have to solve this problem he expected trouble within the military force because they were going to attack the tigrayans the tigrayan rebels so what Abi did and there were there were reported disruptions reported uh, challenges or rifts within the armed forces so what Abi Ahmed did he banged down other militia groups from other regions from the amhara region and also he sought help from the eritreans and the eritreans tplf sees uh, eritrean ruling party as their sworn enemy because you know you look at the map the tigrayan region is sharing border with uh, eritrea so basically the ethiopian eritrean war was fought when the tplf was in power in addis ababa so abi sought help from the from the eritreans he also helped from from other militias and then he launched the attack uh, you know after four weeks in late november 2020 uh, uh, abi uh, declared that the major military operations were over and they managed to meet their immediate goals like abi wanted to crush the tplf oust them from power and have a new government in mekale in tigray's capital that is friendlier to addis so that's what he wanted and he actually defeated the tplf government forced them to retreat to the mountains uh, and then he installed a new government in mekale so he managed to meet his immediate let's say strategic goals in tigray in november itself november 2020 itself but the problem is that he overlooked the history of the tplf you know tplf was born in the mountains of tigray and they fought the soviet backed dirk for almost two decades so what the tplf did they retreated to the mountains they regrouped and then they struck back on the government and they struck back with so much force so we don't know who supported them it is likely that they got support from sudan the ethiopian government says sudan backed them we don't have clarity about it but they struck back and they forced the federal government to retreat completely from tigray and then tplf didn't stop there so after forcing the federal troops from tigray they started attacking neighboring federal troops in the neighboring regions and they also kind of you know they entered into some kind of a detente with other ethnic militias now the oromo liberation front has joined hands with the tplf and the tplf and the oromo liberation front have also brought together other political out opposition groups and the abi ahmed groups into one platform and then they formed a kind of a united front nine opposition groups have now come together now the oromos and uh, the tigrayans are fighting together so other political groups have also joined this coalition now they say that they are going to march on towards addis they also the oromo liberation front leader says they could capture addis within weeks i mean we don't know whether they would be able to take addis ababa it's a big city it is the center of the government home for uh, over 3 million people but clearly the government is on the defensive now now abi ahmed who launched the war one year ago who pronounced that the military operations were over he is now on the back foot because he is now asking the citizens to take up arms and fight the rebels so it clearly shows that the government is desperate now and the government which was uh, uh, in the offensive a year ago uh, is now on the defensive because the government is now struggling to defend its capital so that's how the table has turned over the last one year
Right. You you mentioned just now that the TPLF has joined hands with the Oromo Liberation Front and isn't uh, Abiy Ahmed himself an Oromo uh, ethnically speaking in terms of his origins? Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, Abiy is uh, an Oromo but it seems, it appears to be that the local um, political party in Oromia is not happy with Abiy Ahmed because, you know, Abiy was actually trying to concentrate more power within the hands of the federal government, which had upset the regions. And Ebi was saying that we need to construct a national identity over regional identities. He kept saying this. And in order to construct the national identities, what Ebi's proposition is to make the federal government stronger, which contradicts the consensus in Ethiopia, the post-Derg consensus in Ethiopia, which is ethnic federalism. So the federal government will certainly have some authority, but at the same time in the regions, the regional parties, basically ethnic parties, will have their autonomy. So Ebi was violating this. So that had upset many regional blocs, including the main party in, uh, in the Oromia region. So that's what the TPLF is now trying to exploit, and they are trying to win over other you know, rebel groups and mobilize them. Uh, in their fight against the federal government. Okay. So, it's less than two years uh, ago in 2019 that Abiy Ahmed was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize uh, for bringing peace to the region. And now he seems to be uh, becoming some kind of an international pariah and he's even being held uh, responsible by uh, some NGOs for uh, war crimes under his watch. So, how do we explain this complete turnaround in, in how we seem to be perceiving him? Did he change? Overnight, or did he, had he manage to fool the entire world about what kind of a leader uh, he is? I, I think uh, when uh, Abby was awarded, yeah, definitely awarded the Nobel Prize, definitely uh, at that time Abby was seen by many as a reformer. And there were reasons to believe that Abby was a reformer because he ended the war with Eritrea, which was a major move. The border war was going on for years and, and in which hundreds of thousands of people were killed. And he ended the war with Eritrea. He entered a peace agreement with the Eritrean government. And he also, uh, you know, he promised more political reforms. He released political prisoners, thousands of political prisoners he released. He lifted curbs on media. He also cracked down on some of the regime's stalwarts, uh, including security chiefs uh, for corruption and the other wrongdoing. So all these things you put together, you could see in 2018 and 2019, a young reformer who wanted to remake Ethiopia was in power. So that may have, uh, I suppose, that guided the Nobel Committee also to believe that uh, Ebi was doing something outstanding and then they decided to award him the Nobel Prize. But now we have, uh, you know, a clearer picture when we look back at Ethiopia. And that clearer picture suggests that whatever Abiy Ahmed did in 2018 and 2019, that had everything, while, while his decision to end the war with Eritrea, certainly it was a commendable thing. At the same time, everything he did had a domestic political angle as well. Why? Because Abiy Ahmed's, I think, main domestic agenda was to sideline the TPLF completely or to end TPLF as a political force. He wanted to remake the country and he wanted to completely get rid of the old political elite. 
so the political parties he uh, legalized were anti tpla forces and the regime leaders he imprisoned or sacked were basically tplf stalwarts and the country he made peace with eritrea was a sworn enemy of the tplf and the peace agreement with uh, eritrea practically uh, isolated tplf in addis ababa i am not uh, discounting the efforts ab did but everything ab did had a domestic political angle as well so basically the actions he took the series of domestic reforms and international peacemaking he did contributed to the political uh, isolation of the tplf which eventually led to the led to the current conflict and once the conflict breaks out ab did not hesitate to use force he did not hesitate to use violent force against tigrayans he has been blockading the tigray region for many many months he is not even allowing access to un aid teams to tigray so the region you know complete is completely cut off so and there were widespread allegations of human rights violations uh, war crimes crimes against humanity and tigray is also facing uh, is on the brink of a famine according to uh, the united nations so ab doesn't move because ab sees the tplf as his main enemy and when it comes to his main enemy he is not making a compromise he is not moving an inch so if you ask me is ab a peacemaker inherently a peacemaker i don't think so but ab definitely in order to make his political goals you know reach his political goals in order to make you know meet his objectives political objectives he had made peace in the past right you spoke about tigrayans being targeted uh, earlier on so now there have also been reports of ethnic tigrayans in the capital of addis ababa being rounded up by the authorities and taken into detention and so on so is there any risk of ethnic cleansing or uh, genocide happening in the event of either side uh, clinching a clear victory yes there were reports of tigrayans being rounded up and uh, ab sometimes ab's statements also added to these issues ab himself says that he is not against tigrayans he is only fighting the rebels but at the same time he is uh, you know he says everybody to take up arms against the enemy uh, he said that we will defend the glory of ethiopia with our blood and flesh he dehumanizes the rebels so all this is actually adding to the ethnic tensions in the country so that is clearly the so in addis ababa he is trying to strongly build a constituency against the rebels so through his statements and through his actions so that is actually the but at the same time the rebels are not a pushover and also it's not just tigrayans who are coming to addis ababa if at all they are coming tplf had mastered in this conflict you know they fought the turk they defeated the turk so back in the day they were welcomed as heroes uh, manas hanavi and his men were welcomed as heroes in addis ababa in 1991 so now also what the tplf is doing they are making up with reaching out to the other rebel groups and then they are forming a coalition that's how tplf ruled ethiopia for three decades while tplf maintained its you know monopoly over power they did it through a coalition government they didn't rule the country through tplf they ruled it through eprdf so they are doing the same thing now uh, it depends on how the federal troops if at all if it breaks out if a nationwide civil war breaks out 
uh, if the new coalition is marching on towards Addis Ababa, if they have claimed that they would do, they would do it. And Abiy Ahmed still refuses to talk because uh, you know he is in a uh, unenviable position uh, because if he talks, that would be seen as weakness. And the rebels, are, having clinched the recent military victories, are also not in a position to talk. They would have offered talks back back in last November, but not now. They think that they are winning. Ethiopia is on the brink of a major crisis, a major disaster, unless there is a ceasefire. And the ceasefire has to be reached mutually. You know, One side cannot declare a ceasefire given the complexities of the current situation. It can't be a unilateral ceasefire. So there needs to be talks. So unless there is a ceasefire, uh, I think this could uh, the crisis could conflagrate into an all-out civil war and anything could happen, even the fall of Addis, because the PLF had taken Addis once in the past through fighting. Right. So with neither side keen to get into talks mode, uh, it, it does seem like uh, there is threat of a bigger conflagration. So what has been the response of the international community so far to the recent escalations? And secondly, what is the nature and scale of uh, humanitarian crisis are, that we are looking at? So the humanitarian crisis is really bad. UN Security Council and the UN General Secretary uh, had repeatedly issued warnings. And a UN mission had issued video footages of the suffering of people in the region, especially in Tigray. Tigray is on the brink of a famine. That is one thing. And uh, Eritrean forces who were fighting in Tigray were directly accused of committing crimes against humanity. And Abiy Ahmed's government admitted that some of the excesses uh, were committed by the Eritrean forces. And the TPLF also faces the same allegations. So... What we are looking at is, you know, starvation and torture and uh, crimes against humanity, execution of uh, non-combatants. All kind of uh, allegations are there in this conflict. And the humanitarian situation is really, really bad. The UN General Secretary himself has urged for help. But the problem is that the Ethiopian government is still not allowing free flow of aid into the Tigray region. Because Abiy's policy earlier was that to cut Tigray off completely and then, you know, kind of force them to surrender. That was the strategy. It was a collective punishment. That strategy didn't work because the rebels cut through the government defense lines and then are advancing towards other regions now. So this is the situation. This is the humanitarian situation. Secondly, the international community, okay, you have the UN Security Council has asked for a, a ceasefire. African Union uh, have also called on both sides to slow down or rein in, etc., uh, etc. Et so beyond that, there are no international peace efforts actually to find, to, at least to prompt both sides to talk. This Biden administration uh, was supposed to send its envoy to Ethiopia. So su such efforts are happening, but more than that, I don't, I don't see any major international in intervention, diplomatic intervention to find, you know, at least to stop fighting. So that has to be the beginning. The beginning has to be, you should prompt both sides to hold the talks and then reach uh, an agreement of truce. Because if that is not happening, this is this could spiral into an open conflict, nationwide conflict, and anything could happen. And an attack on Addis would be disastrous. It is a big city. It is a big metropolis of millions of people. Uh, so if the rebels are advancing on towards Addis Ababa, it would be really, really uh, disastrous. So something has to be done. But as of now, beyond 
statements, I don't think the international community's focus is on Ethiopia. Right. Uh, Stanley, we're running out of time. So one final question uh, before we wind up. Has there been any roadmap for uh, lasting peace between the different ethnic groups uh, that make up uh, the Ethiopian nation? You also talked about the various provinces being uh, demarcated along ethnic lines. So is there any grouping at all in the country right now that clearly stands for democracy and freedom and against uh, the kind of ethno-nationalism that seems to be a hallmark of the various groups that are fighting today? Yeah, the problem is that I think most dominant political parties are divided on the ethnic lines. But despite these divisions, uh, at least we saw some kind of stability and economic prosperity in Ethiopia in the 1990s and uh, early 2010s. Basically, the period of Mas Zanavi. Because Zanavi was a charismatic leader who, had, who, who drew some legitimacy from his resistance towards the Dirk. He was also authoritarian on the other side. You know, he didn't tolerate political dissent, etc. But while maintaining, uh, you know, a semi-authoritarian regime in Addis Ababa, he also uh, implemented, he, he introduced the new constitution, which promoted ethnic federalism. And then he put the country on the track of economic growth. So there was relative peace in the country, as I stated earlier. So uh, if you look at Ethiopia's history, at least since, say, let's say, the collapse of the monarchy, the collapse of the emperor, you had a long period of Marxist dictatorship, the Dirk, which was a brutal regime. And then you have Menezenavi's time, uh, which is the EPRDF time, where Ethiopia saw relative peace. So this ethnic federalism, at least we could say that briefly it worked. The problem is that when the ethnic issues, conflicts resurfaced, PPLF found it very difficult to manage the crisis. Uh, and then Abiy Ahmed comes up and the situation becomes worse. So the key, I think, is to respect Ethiopia's federalism, ethnic federalism, uh, restore the autonomy of the regions. And then the political parties, different political parties should find a platform where they will work together for Ethiopia, not just for the ethnicities and for any nation building. What is necessary is that you need to uh, disarm the militias and then keep one troops. That is also there. So that would be possible only if the federal government takes the regions into confidence. So clearly, Abi Ahmed is losing that. Abi Ahmed's uh, attempt to concentrate more power in the hands of the federal government has been counterproductive so far. So I think that has to be undone. And then the regions should be taken into the confidence as the first step. So the, the challenge for Ebi or his successor is that they have to go back to 1991 and start afresh again. Right. Uh, the two key uh, points that you uh, that you were talking about seem to be one, roll back this impulse towards excessive centralization and respect regional, author- regional autonomy and uh, the old formula of ethnic federalism so that each of the different ethnic nations or sub-nations within Ethiopia get their due, get their respect, get their say in a democratic setup. Stanley, thank you so much for sharing your insights and comments. Uh, pleasure talking to you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. 
In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.